Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. I'm your host. Today, we are doing a deep dive into the word leadership. It's so loaded. It's so nuanced. There's so many meanings. Nobody can define it. What are we going to do? That's our conversation today. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast, the Naked Leadership Podcast. And and when I say welcome back to the podcast, what I actually mean is welcome back to the conversation. This is an ongoing conversation. Um, we don't want you to get caught up in segmenting these. these this is a holistic picture that we're approaching here. And um, I'm excited about this episode because this is one of the very first episodes that I wanted to do because I think it's really important for us to have some definitions in place, Um, And if it's not definitions, at least some common understanding of what we're talking about when we use the word leadership and the word leader. And we're going to get to the difference between those two words here in a minute. But I think it's really important that we establish this baseline. What is it that we're talking about? And one of the best ways that I think we can understand or create this baseline is looking at what is out there already? What are the myths that already exist around leadership? What is it that people are talking about or have been talking about for ages? Books are written about them, uh, blog posts, uh, articles. You know, you see these um, uh, you see these hyperbolic statements about leadership all over social media and these motivational quotes and all of that kind of stuff. And we want to kind of we want to take that information. And, to, and distill it down to some paradoxes and um, really discuss, really define what it is that we're talking about when we talk about leadership. And, uh, and I think this is going to be really important and really beneficial for our conversation going forward in the podcast. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Adrian and Dan, not introduce you. Welcome back, Adrian and Dan. I'm so happy to have you guys here. How do you feel about uh, getting a conversation going about leadership? This is only what I like to talk about all day, every day. So I'm I'm game. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Good. It would be a really really short podcast episode. It it is my medicine, my friend. It is my medicine to my existential angst let's start to uncover what we're talking about. So um, I'm just going to start putting out some myths there. And this, the, these myths that are out there that I have heard, we've all heard and read are going to lead a, lead us into, I think a bigger conversation. Um, these are actually just the gateway to talking about some of the things that are meaningful in leadership. So one of the very first things that I have run across is that leadership is synonymous with a management title. So you become, meaning the idea that you become a leader once you have the title. This aspiring idea of once I have a C-level role or once I have that management title, um, I'll become a leader. Yeah, I I think... uh... I mean, I, I, it, it's interesting because I would I, actually the title comes after you actually show up as a leader, right? But, but that's true. <laughs> People may I've heard you know 
geez, I'm not a leader till I am an executive. I've, that's, that's been a conversation I've been in. But you think about it, it's, it relates back in my experience to a cultural no, idea of leadership, which is known as, you know, uh, the heroic leader or the, you know, the guy in the front of the line, I was thinking about a conversation I had with my kids when they were younger. I think my boy was about nine and my daughter was about six. And uh, I goes, Danny, who's a leader? What's a leader? And he goes, oh, he's the first one, the one in the front of the line, the one that goes first. And I go, well, what's leadership? And Elizabeth goes, uh, it's the ship in the front of the line. <laughs> right? And so that kind of goes like the leaders are the ones with the titles. They're in the front of the room. You know, that that's pretty much the, the, the conception, at least basically it's one of the conceptions that we are, it's ingrained in us, this heroic idea. It's called heroic. And there's a certain aspect of leadership that is certainly heroic, but the idea of a heroic leader is the one that goes out and gets it done. They're the one that's in the front of the line. They're the ones going first. Um, and, and that's, you know, as we have found that that's really very, there's a, certainly a time for that, but it's it, most of the time that's not how leadership is occurs, right? That, you know, leaders are both, I think leader and follower are probably bad terms because they describe two sides of the same coin. Right. And that we're all, you know, as a leader, we're all not only leading, but we're following. I mean, I mean, how many times have you had your own kids lead you somewhere or somebody on your team brings something in that opens up, oh, wow, that's the direction we ought to go, or they do something that inspires and aligns the team. And a great leader knows when to follow that because it's aligned with the vision. That, and so that's a, that's a, there's a dynamic in there. So. Yeah, I think – oh, go ahead, Adrian. I was just going to say, I mean, there's so much here. I mean, my head is already spinning with all the, I don't know, complexities of it or, or how it shows up out there in the world. I mean, I was going to say, you know, I was thinking about what else is a leader and words come to mind uh, are like, you know, that I enjoy. It's like, who's the most willing and, and who knows? I mean, that sometimes that's the, sometimes that's the person in authority. Sometimes it's not right. Because even if I have authority or if I have positional leadership, sometimes that positional leadership actually will, I will uh, be in that position in such a way that I'll not actually be able to lead because I'm only seeing through this lens and what I think ought to be, how I think I ought to be because I am quote unquote a leader as the organization has dubbed me. Like I might actually, you know, not be a leader at all because I'm quote unquote a leader. It's interesting because the more, like even in our conversation now, we're trying to almost measure it, right? Like yeah. how, yeah. how can, what is a leader, right? And, and you yeah. described a condition and, and, and I think it's very true. I think anybody would say that there's a sense of leadership is the first one to go, but if, if you get out in front, they get it done. They have the position, but in, in fact that it's kind of a brainwashing, if you will, because then what happens? Well, I, if I'm the leader, I'm expected to have the answers. And if I'm a follower, well, then you, I'm waiting for you to come with the answer. And so it produces a, uh, a tremendous waste of, of talent, right? It, there's a, there's a real paradox that's involved that, it, you know, there's a dynamic that occurs and it's like, um, there's, there's a paradox. The first paradox I think of in this one is in attempting to identify and measure the essence of leadership, we actually may inadvertently lose sight of the very thing that we're seeking to capture, right? Like, think about light. If you measure light as a particle, 
it shows up as a particle. And then if you measure it, and then if you think light's a particle, you always engage with it as a particle, you'll actually miss a whole another half of its nature, which is a wave. And if you measure it as a wave, it shows up as a wave. So you got to step back from measuring it and see how it engage, you know, like study the phenomenon of, of light. And to be like hunting down an exotic bird, you want to understand the bird, you, you capture one, you, you dissect it, and you learn all about its biology, but you really don't learn anything about its birdness unless you watch it, how it relates to its environment and other birds, and how it's, you know, the dynamic of it, because it's greater than the sum of its parts. And I think leadership's like that. You know, I think it's, it's a, you know, like, for me, it's a social, in, it's basically a social or a relational process through which, you know, emergent coordination, if you will, in change of new values, attitudes, all that behaviors, ideologies are constructed and produced, right? So it's no longer an attribute of an individual themselves, but a property of a system, you know, a, 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 or paradoxically, perhaps both, you know, the individual and the system, right? Like that. So is it even, is it even beneficial or, um, or are we even able to define leadership? Yeah, I don't know if that's the, I think we need to describe it rather than define it because it's such a, and this is a big, man, this is a huge, there's 25,000 books written on leadership and there's no one agreed upon definition because no matter what we do, and there's been studies done by this guy, Richard Bowden and other researchers, and they've studied all these different frameworks for leadership. And they noticed that most of them leave out as important things like vulnerability, trust, et cetera. They, they, there's skills that are involved. And no matter what they come up with as a definition, it doesn't seem to capture the fullness of the dynamic or phenomenon of what happens when leadership emerges in an organization, because, you know, we're basically great leaders are, are, they're often following as much as they're leading. Right. And then what is that dynamic? And what it's kind of a natural thing that we all do, right. We all know that experience, but it very rarely gets talked about. I've never seen it talked about in a leadership training. Very so if I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that there's so many variables and it's so subjective on the environment of the leader, the roles of the leader, the characteristics of the leader, that leadership can't be defined. It's, it's, it's a dynamic idea that we have to look at holistically. Yeah, like love. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's like relationship. Yeah. What does love look like? <laughs> it's like there's been so much, you know, so much done. So many people have made such great livings on studying leaders. And the second paradox I think about is maybe it's better to understand leadership. Uh, we should just stop studying leaders, <laughs> spend less time studying leaders and more time like, observing the dynamic that occurs when leadership is present. Like what's happening? What kind of social exchange is going on? What are the things we're not paying attention to because we're so focused on these, on these traits that leaders are supposed to have? And all the studies show that you could have, you know, very out front leaders are effective. There's guys who lead you don't hear much about that they lead, quote unquote, from behind, you know, and, and there's, there's a dynamic that occurs between all of that, you know, between those two extreme styles. And they've never been able, there's no scientific connection as of today in all the studies between char personality characteristics and leadership effectiveness at leadership. It's really one of those 
conundrums, if you will. It's more of a paradox because conundrums, you can, you want to resolve a paradox. You just, it's more like it's, you live in it. You can't resolve it. And so you understand, you want to understand the tension, right? And live in it. Yeah. The the idea that comes to mind for me to go along with this, Dan, is a couple things. First off, we tend to ask clients all the time uh, when when we're thinking about uh, what's, what's going on in their organization, especially as we're exploring or doing some forensics on where the breakdowns are, we typically ask three questions, like what's working, what's not working, and what's wanted and needed, which is the, the domain in which a leader, like the, the proper leadership frame, things will presence, things will come out. What's wanted and needed is the question that a leader will stand in uh, and not be, ever be done with, because what's wanted and needed is an ever-present inquiry. If that makes sense, like the, because I was thinking like, what is, what is leadership? And for me, it's like, uh, at least as I'm thinking about it in this moment, like uh, how about authentic engagement, which might, rec- which is going to require different, uh, different tactics, different mm-hmm. speech, different actions, uh, different levels of volume. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, there's a presencing that it can occur when I am wondering what's wanted and needed yeah. um, in the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to be a great leader if you're not that concerned with the world, number one. Um, but also, at least definitely for me in my own leadership journey, also what's wanted and needed for me internally. Like, you know, that like be, being willing to be introspective enough. Cause I, I you know, I think a lot, I, I see this a ton in clientele and in myself where it's like, I'm, over-indexed externally, and then I'm not paying attention to the internal internal dynamics that are happening. And I, at some points, use leadership or leadership uses me to avoid, you know, this internal world. And then eventually, there's not there's I'm so out of integrity, like with what I've been saying is 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 is, is different, or there's a big chasm between what I've been showing and what I've been doing out there in the world. And I actually, it hasn't been as much of an authentic conversation for me. So I think that the job, I think this is why burnout happens in leaders. I mean, one view of it would be because we've been doing out there and not been leading internally, leading myself, wondering what's wanted needed for me for sustainability, for authenticity. How do I keep my side of the street clean, if you will, and anything that I've been tolerating internally for myself, where have I looked courageous, but not been courageous? Like these are all internal, this is part yeah, of the yeah. internal game of leadership. Go ahead. The, the idea that what you might have going on or what I might have be going on wouldn't be good, or I can't see how it could be fuel for, um, for the others, for, for the actual accomplishment of the goal that my struggle in and of itself may be valuable in the process of leading forth something together. Right. That's right. That's right. What I also hear in what you guys are saying is that leadership for each individual or as a, as a whole is an evolution. It evolves as our situation, our environment, our internal, everything, as, as everything changes, it's this fluid thing that um, is really hard to put our finger up. I think of like Frederick Douglass, uh, the example of Frederick Douglass and all the times in his life that he had to lead or that he chose to lead. And, you know, it's from being on a small farm, leading two other men in an escape plan from slavery to presenting in front of Congress and the, and the U.S. government about slavery and, and its effects on, on the nation. And so his leadership had to evolve. You couldn't define 
Frederick Doug- Douglass as a leader in any single point of his, or, or as, as a leader in his life, you would have to define it in each small point in, in the evolution of his leadership. Yeah, you know, there's a, interesting you said that there was a researcher uh, back in the 50s, and her name was C.A. Gibb, I think it was, and she said that leadership is probably best conceived of as a group quality, so, you know, and, and a set of functions which which must be carried out by the group. And if you think of, of Douglas, it really, he was responding to the group that his people and their responding to what was going on. Like it was like getting the group to respond or working as an individual in the group, both in the group and as an individual, right? Stirring it up. That's such a dynamic. And if you, if you miss it, then people don't, it doesn't happen, right? They've got to see something worth leading for themselves, each individual. So I always think about when he says the, his quote about the limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. I mean, he's making a hard statement back to the group, the individuals in the group about what obviously it's going to take for them to be able to change the situation. And it takes some big courage, right? So he's differentiating in that time, he's differentiating himself from the group in the sense that he's inviting them to a place that's extremely vulnerable and necessary, right? And bringing that reality in a way that people had to choose where they're going to stand. That's right. And without them, it had no meaning. Without the context, it had no meaning. Yeah. I've been just taking some notes here as we're sitting, thinking about, I think what are some what people see as like either or dynamics mm. um, and we tend to fight for invite folks to entertain like the both and dynamics. And a couple of those have been, which just connect to this conversation. Um, like that there's like either as a leader, I got to have the answers like, and then I'm in like a teacher mode. Um, or, or I mean, and what, uh, the paradox with that is like, at least that I wrote down like presencing. And I think underneath that is, if we tie this to, to Douglas, like there's uh, it's information and, and that is paradox against like motives, which is the meaning conversation, right? So he could have said, instead of saying what he said about the limits of tyrants are set by those they oppress or whatever that, yeah. close, to, close to that quote, say it again, because I think it's powerful. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. That's right. So he's pointing out where his bravery comes from, right? There's a mindset and there's a belief system. There's a who in there that he's, you know, showing them, but that's the motives conversation. He could have said, all right, guys, here's the five-step plan to take down, you know, to take down slavery, which he might've also said, but he took time to say, Hey, if you're wondering where this comes from, where this moment in time comes from, let me let you know where these motives are and how this, how I'm occurring to me. And how out of that, I'm taking all these actions, you know, yeah, so it's I, like, it's that both end of like, I get, it, it hits me sometimes where we talk about like the pop culture view of leadership, because it's kind of like the one, two, three steps and this and that. And I get why it's so tantalizing to like have, give me, give me the, give me the bullet points. And, and I, that, that's great. And it's useful. And they're kind of, I think they fit in most people's view of like the toolkit, you know, or the thing to say, and I get it. Um, and I like those things. I say th- things like that all the time. Uh, I mean, you, but you're hitting one now. It's pretty good. I mean, I mean, he was letting them know what his motivation was because 
he recognized that leadership is a distributive process. He, he realized that without them, there would be no, what he was standing for doesn't occur without them. Yeah. Right. So like, like, look, this is what motivates me. I don't want, I, I know that if I don't stand, I'll just continue to be oppressed. And like, you know, he's looking down the road saying, look, do I want that? What price am I willing to pay for this immediate, you know, relief of pressure? Or am I willing to face the immediate pressure for this long-term gain? And, and if you think about it by him imparting that those who answer that call, uh, it, it then gets distributed, right? And they can take on and reinvent it their, their own ways. And, and he, you know, he was very much involved with the white abolitionists. They were working very closely together in the process. So it was interesting how, so it was a very distributed process, both in the North and the South. Yeah. Right. And you think that's true for any organization. If somebody's really successful, you think about, even you know, jobs, he was able to communicate his thinking in a way that people began to rise up and see the value in demanding of themselves that way. Yeah. But there's a reciprocation there, right? Yeah. Well, I, I experienced this and we talk about this all the time with clientele because there's a breakdown and usually it's, and part of what happens after the breakdown is they mm-hmm. go back and talk about the process. Yeah. And, and, and what they miss out on is the conversation around, uh, like the prior, like the leader doesn't stop and say, hold on a second, let me let you know my priority structure and how this made sense to me and what's your priority structure and how does that make sense to you? And they miss that point. So they end up fighting about. Yeah. Polarizing. Yeah. Polarizing over and thinking the conversation about the mechanism is going to solve the relational difficulty and is going to solve the uh, alignment issue. Well, that's a great distinction. So we talk about in our trainings, which is, if you have a team of people, because you just hit on it, I just want to explore that a little bit. Um, you got a team of people, you got 10 people there, you know, how, if you asked them, like this, one of the things that I think is, we like to do at least in the training room is get really clear about people's thinking. So, and particularly the way they think about a problem. And one of the things is we have these automatic thoughts that are built into us about when something's broken down, how do you resolve it? Right. Do you, put your energy into the mechanism that, that, you know, that you're using, like the system and the f- process, et cetera, or do you put it, how much energy do you put in that and how much energy do you put in the intention or the thinking behind it, the way of relating to each other and the thing and, and what you want to accomplish. And inevitably, if you have half the team thinking that it's the mechanism mostly, and they're focusing on that and the other half or, you know, the leadership some of the leadership, team thinking it's in the intention, then you've got a natural conflict that's got to be resolved and, and may not even have language for it, right? Right. To, to explore with each other. Yeah. It brings up, you know, we've been big fans of that book, Conversational Intelligence. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, there's three different layers that are types of conversations that occur, like the, the simplest one, the transactional one, which is like, hey, can you send me this information? Can I send you this data? It's just, just back and forth trading. And yeah, forth. Low trust. Yeah. Yeah, like a bank teller. Um, and the second, uh, which is where most teams hang out, which is positional conversations, which is w- without even knowing it, we're actually in the meeting to prove something. We're in the meeting to win people over to my idea. There's not a lot of listening going on, uh, especially in a breakdown, because people are typically, uh, without sometimes knowing it, sometimes not knowing it, I'm in, I'm in this conversation to save my ass. 
make sure I don't get in trouble, make sure this doesn't get tagged on me. If I have to, I'll, I'll point somebody else out. I'll blame something that we didn't do, conversation that didn't happen or something we didn't do six months ago. And that's the reason why the breakdown happened. Um, those are those positional conversations. Yeah, and if you think about it, it's because also those positionals get, they get stuck because the idea that leaders are supposed to have the answers. So right. if I don't have the answers, then I can have the answers about why it didn't work. That's right. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, a conversation with a leader this, this last week, she was talking about a breakdown that happened and um, the conversation that happened publicly that she didn't feel like comfortable with after, you know, she was kind of, she was on edge and there was a breakdown and then she went after somebody. And her, her desired choice was to kind of wait and see how bad it would get. Meaning like, if, let's see if the boss is going to come back and call her on it. And I just said, well, why not go and talk to him about it and say, hey, I blew it. And, you know, there was uh, both fear and relief in that idea. Yeah. Because otherwise she's waiting to prove that it ha she had to blow up this way and she had collected all these principles and all these reasons why it's, you know, the system, that, which is all true. And she was then a slave to... Uh, what didn't work. What didn't work. What didn't work and then just trying to look good about her, her ineffective, inappropriate, unprofessional response instead of just going right away and saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, the system's messed up. I've been feeling the pressure on it. I, that pressure, I, I overreacted in the meeting. It was unprofessional of me. Would you forgive me? And their answer is going to be yes. Um, or, you know, maybe they can have a discussion about it, but people are probably going to say yes to that. And then you can move on, but you've actually done the work of getting off the need to be right about my position. What didn't work. Yeah. Of what didn't work and, and why I had to, quote unquote, had to do what I had to do. Um, that's a third, I bring this up because that third level of communication a lot is like what teams don't get to um, or what even like, you know, partners in a business or even partners in life, like you and a significant other, we don't get to is like, Hey, there's something happening out here. There's something either we want or something that's happening that we don't want. And how can we have this collaborative conversation? I mean, I like the imagery of, I think great leaders do this where it's like, there's an issue out here. There's some kind of breakdown. Typically people get positioned and I'm on this side of the table. You're on that side of the table and the problems in between us. So we think that the problem itself is causing the relational riff. And we think that solving the problem will put us together, um, which usually is not the case because we're, because our brains are just going to be looking for the next reason why he's on that side of the table and I'm on this side of the table. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, the reminds me, reminds me of all the political discussion going on. Right. Right yeah. Yeah. The problem is not the, the problem isn't what we think the problem is. The problem most of the time is how we view the problem. Right? That's right. And if it's, if it's, my job to get you to do something, then command and control becomes the order of the day in my experience. I've got to find a way to either frighten you or threaten you or, you know, to move you towards what I want or entice you through some reward to get you there versus we're side by side trying to work a problem out. What are you seeing? And which is a really high trust conversation. What do you actually see? Let's talk because you might see something that's extremely valuable. I don't see and vice versa. We may not even realize the value of what we're seeing and how we're seeing the problem that might be getting in our way. And how do we, what kind of inquiry can help us collaborate in a way that we resolve what's there. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the old axioms is true that, you know, 
solving the problem, nine tenths of solving the problem is framing it. Like the, you get the right frame on the problem and the, and the solutions come out of it. They start to emerge. You find your way in it. Like the obstacle is the way kind of thing. Yeah. Just getting to look at it from a place that's resourceful and breaking out of the somebody's wrong, bad or broken and about this. And yeah. The, the reframe allows you to sit in it long enough to come to the solutions. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. to yeah. discuss the solutions because before the way it was framed, it's too defensive. It's too, there's too much polarization there and you reframe it into a place where we can be together in it to find a solution. Yeah. I mean, if you think I have a, a client I've been working with, they're up against with uh, their board and team and, and the, and a lot of it has to do with how things are framed, right? If I frame it and it's, I have the answer and you don't, or I'm the one who's supposed to come up with the answer or I'm, you know, something, something of that order, right? That I'm the leader. And so I'm supposed to get this, then I'm going to frame the problem. If I don't know what it is like this, since I don't know what the problem is, it must be something outside of me. Mm -hmm. it, it couldn't be in how I'm framing the problem. And I'm not going to ask for help because I'm not going to ask for the inquiry. I'm not going to trust the inquiry because if I don't have the answer, then I'm not going to be the leader. <laughs> right? it's, so it's this, this, theme, this theme of leaders having the answers or leadership means having all the answers has been coming up over and over again already in this discussion. It's one of the myths that I have on the list that I wanted to bring up, um, but you, you both have already really taken it from, but I, I want to explore it a little bit and see what is this myth not considering? Like what, what's the conversation that's not being had when we say things like leaders are supposed to have all the answers? I mean, if you think about it, it puts the onus of on, on one person when you have a team of people that are a tremendous resource. And it presupposes that unless you come up with it, they ought not be contributing. Or they, you know, it presupposes a subordinated, permanently very kind of um, rigid subordinated relationship, an us and them kind of relationship. And it, and if I'm a follower, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that the unspoken message is not to say something unless it's in alignment with what the leader wants. And, and for the leader, if I'm bought in deeply into that, I'm going to feel out of control if somebody else comes up with a great idea versus being excited about the fact that now, you know, we're going to move farther down the, the path towards what we're committed to. We're going to have that future is going to start showing up, right? Yeah, I think we've all experienced this in whether we're in quote unquote following roles or leadership roles where, um, a good idea or a good solution is presented and it's either discarded or um, isn't given value because the leader didn't come up with it. And then even sometimes further down the road, the leader will come up with the same idea, but it comes from them, right? Or, or it's presented in higher meetings that they had this idea. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's, um, it's very, prevalent in in corporate america that the leader needs to come up with the good idea the leader needs to come up with the solution what else is possible how else can we how can we reframe leadership or or at least solutions and ideas within leadership that the leader doesn't have to own all of that well, there's a concert of ideas that people usually call overwhelm 
um, like I'm overwhelmed or, or they might not say it that way. They might say like, I don't have any bandwidth for that. Or they might say like, I'm just too busy, which is like a decision about uh, what my capacity is based on my circumstances. Essentially, right? Like I'm saying I'm busy. What I'm really saying is I, I can't because, and there's lots of external things which now have set the parameters of the possibilities for me. Um, and in this like distilled down environment, uh, because, you know, when I'm like that in a room, like that on a team, like that in a project, like that in a meeting, like that, if I'm in a belief that I don't have much bandwidth or I'm overwhelmed or there's too many things going on, um, then typically the brain can't stop itself from looking for shortcuts, mm. right? And great leaders know how to, I mean, I know when I'm in, when I'm like that, right? Cause I, I do that all the time where I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling like there's five things to do and I only have space for three. What will I do naturally? I'm going to take over. Fastest process is me to just make the call. Um, and that's needed at times. Yeah. And sure. there's also lots of possibilities that I will then, if I do that, there are lots of possibilities uh, that could occur that I won't see or lots of possibilities in others that I, I really take from them. Like there could be an opportunity for them that I will steal from them to, to put it, I guess, I don't know, dramatically that I'll take from them uh, and not give them an opportunity uh, to voice, to speak, to have a better, even a better idea because I'm going to settle for, the reactionary position that I've chosen due to what I believe about my circumstances. And I call that busyness. And I was just, I'm thinking about, especially this around the traditional management mindset and this leader leader as having the answers. Um, I, I, the folks that I work with a lot and they're on my mind a lot this morning um, is as they're hiring people, um, they're, they're typically, their job description is around results, which is appropriate. And their job description then is typically around activity, what they're going to do on a daily basis. And so then a lot of management comes out of the, uh, we think we're managing activity. And what we don't pause enough to consider, create enough space in our work life, in our team life, in our relational life is, is that we're actually hiring people to think in a certain way and to presence in a certain way and to be in a certain way. Cause you know, at the top of every job description ought to be lead yourself really well, lead others. Well, open, you know, there's lots of things that could be in there that we don't think about or talk about cause it's smushy or something. Um, but we don't get to like that. We hire folks to think, to spend time thinking. And part of, part of that due, due to the challenge of, of schedule and the pace. Yeah, and the orientation of the thinking is, yes. you know, if it's, I've got to have the answer, then I'm not going to see the possibility of resource in the others. You know, there's a, right. there's a Zulu word, Ubuntu, and it means I am because we are, mm -hmm. right? And it's a very different way of looking at, Leadership, you think about that. I am because we are. We are to, I am here because of who we are to get done what we're, you know, what we came together for. Yeah. And, and so the idea that if, if we're stuck, the good news is we have all these eyes and resources and experience to draw upon. However, we, it's the way we've positioned ourselves in this, the, the, our, how we view the problem, which is 
part of how I view the problem is I'm supposed to come up with the answer versus, well, gosh, we could, we're going to solve this. How can we call on each other to get this to turn out? It's a very different way of thinking. It produces a very different set of requests and, and inquiries than I have to find it for myself. Otherwise, I'm not the leader. I'm not doing my job. And I think, and, and, and that might just come up from one of the other myths, which is great producers will make great leaders, right? Because they're good at finding the answers and solving the problem hands-on. And then when they get to a leadership level, it's more about resourcing the, the, what's wanted and needed from the team and, and, you know, calling that to the, you know, creating that dynamic together, very different than going out and getting it done yourself. So it produces that, that sense of, and then if you're, if you've got a, a lot of juice out of, and a lot of acknowledgement and sense of accomplishment out of doing it yourself, then you're going to feel like you're not getting much done. If the team gets it done, you might, you might even get in the way and sabotage your own efforts as a leader because you, you want to signify your own contribution. That. So that's what got you there, right? Yeah. I, and so viewing that what I'm getting at is how we view the problem. If, if I am the leader and you're here to serve me and what I'm up to is very different than I am because we are like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a symbiosis that goes on and I'm acknowledging that and I'm helpless without it. I'm, I, you know, I'm not helpless, but, but certainly I'm going to be not going to be as powerful or as resourceful as if I have a group of us lined up and committed. We're all going after it the same way we're sharing and putting ourselves at stake. There's something bigger than just us um, proving our, our position or our, our competency. I think that's one of the biggest challenges I've had with my clients is and for myself in, in life is that if I don't get it done, doesn't mean that I'm not a value. If I, if, if, you know, if I can resource, if, if I have to get it done myself, then I'm going to, I'm going to go into competition with my team. Mm-hmm. And that, that, and then I'm going to, that brings up things like gossip and slander and I'm, it's one upmanship and all the politics start kicking in. And, you know, it's more about getting reelected than bringing value to the community, <laughs> which is probably the biggest problem we have in politics, right? Let's get reelected versus what are we doing? That's valuable. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle, you know, I rather than come after your ideas and, and what can be, how we can work together to resolve the problem. I'm going to make you wrong so I can be right. And then we just polarize versus the try to understand and listen. Yeah. What I hear you talking about is there's a lot of nuance in this process, right? And whenever there's nuance, we feel vulnerable. And oversimplify. Yeah. Yeah. And we, yeah, we tend to oversimplify. And one of the other myths that we had on here is a great leader is cold and fierce, meaning uh, I take that as meaning not vulnerable. They're that, they're that stone, that rock always there that you know what you're going to get and it's always going to be cold and fierce. And what you're talking about feels like there's a lot of letting go. And then a willingness to to know that that's, there may become a time when obviously there's moments when a leader needs to stand like that, right? Winston Churchill, but to get there, you've got to create the agreement and respect with your team. So that when you do that, they're, they're okay. Got it. You know, like this is a yeah. time, but those are very, those times are a lot. I would suggest those times are much less. We tend to emphasize that, but those times are much less 
than the everydayness of working together, that the everydayness of working together and resourcing each other creates the trust and in, in the environment for when that occurs that people will follow when somebody takes that kind of stand. And I would say probably the intentions are second guessed a lot less in those moments. If all the other moments you're, you're there and vulnerable and with the people to ca- cause results, right? Dan, I've heard you use, use the definition for leadership of causing results through others. Adrian, you have a, a slightly variation on that, but it's being with others in a way that causes results. And um, I think, you know, when, when we open ourselves to that vulnerability and let go rather than being that taskmaster that you were talking about, Dan, where you, you have to, you're the leader with the ideas and you're just making sure everybody else is, is completing the tasks. But when you let go and let people think and you, and, and you become vulnerable as a leader, um, you open those doors for people to understand your intentions you open the doors for great ideas and possibilities to come about and you get a wider net uh, cast when there's a problem or a breakdown. Yeah. And you think about, there's a distinction between leader and leadership, right? So, you know, what I mean is that if a leader is really generating a sense of leadership, it's a mobilization of human effort in the collective enterprise, right? That their engagement actually mobilizes the human effort in the collective enterprise that they're involved in. And so that at that moment, they're a leader if they're part of that catalyzation, right? The next moment they might be following because somebody else is, you know, doing that in a time that's necessary. So I know in, in uh, the, the armed forces, I, I was reading some interesting research about SEAL Team 6 and leadership changes off when they go into a raid you know, automatically, they're so tuned into each other that each one of them may take the lead in different situations, depending on what the situation calls for. And they're able to adjust on the run, right? And it's like they're talking to each other without talking to each other, they're communicating in a very intuitive way. And, and it's like a well-oiled machine. And that the government actually spends a lot of money to create, like study and understand how that environment gets created. Right. And, and what kinds of thinking and relating actually produce that kind of connection, you know, with the team. Very interesting stuff. A book out there on it called uh, Chasing, uh, Stealing Fire by James, Jamie Kotler talks about how that how the government's really focused on provoking that state. Like, what does it take to create leadership? Right. And that each one of those soldiers are leaders and followers like that. They know and they intuitively knowing to shift in and out of that, right? As they're going along, because the bigger picture is what they're after. Right. It's such a deep, you know, the, the principles there is, at least that I'm hearing is, you know, there's such a deep connection to the mission and commitment to the mission um, that I'm willing to adapt my previous definition of myself and get off that previous definition of myself and let somebody else be defined, even how I defined myself two seconds ago. Yeah. You know, now, it's interesting because one of some of their training, you know, people wonder, you know, they drowned them multiple times, right? <laughs> well, if you drown four or five times and come back, you have a very different relationship to drowning than somebody who's never experienced that. So they, they tend to hold into that tension without panicking where others would panic. They're very conscious of their resources, right? For a right. much longer period of time. Well, you can translate that into social 
situations where, you know, you're going to be exposed and that being exposed and your weakness could actually lead to a resource that could deepen the team's understanding and, and bring out resource for them to act more powerfully on. That's a very, you know, it takes some practice, right? And how many systems, how many organizations really recognize the value of that? Because one of the things these, these SEALs realize, they realize is that you can have a very talented guy there or gal who's, you know, they could get it done, but if they panic, all that talent goes, works against you, right? right. So, so they're, they're recognizing the complexity of what leadership is, right? right? And, and to oversimplify, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Well, and that's in that domain, I'm just thinking of like leadership as art, um, art. You know, as it's an, it's an ever present creative act. Um, versus, I mean, sometimes at least the, on this, the stuckness that I see on teams is they, they think leadership as science or, and it's a, obviously like a both and, right? I need to have the right strategy and then also be able to make, you know, tend to the container, the strategy is being held by, which is the network of relationships, network of conversations, network of ideas that the team is at the moment or the leader is at the moment. Like that's the art side, you know, it's like we talk about, you know, a leader's, one of, one of the leader's main roles is to, is to architect and tend to steward the conversational environment of the team. Yeah, the big, think about it. I know for me, some of my biggest mistakes is in leading have been, I've forgotten who my customer is. Like I, I look beyond my team to the customers they're serving and think that I need to be with them because my customer's out there, but Really, my customers, my team, and um, there are com uh, com you know complex conversations in there because if the I, I'm, as a leader, often I've felt or leading a team, I've felt like I'm handcuffed if that's the case. Somehow, I can't get to the more important customer, but that's just the opposite, right? Right. And I know I'm working with a young leader now that he's more concerned with what's happening in the public because of the result of his product and so on, then how his team is impacting that very thing. Like how can I be with my team to open up and have their creativity come forth and that will serve the brand. Right. Yeah. So, and so they, he's in a kind of a, a combative relationship with his team, which creates a lot, lot of problems and <laughs> budgetarily and other ways, right. People go into silos and, so we're yeah. breaking that down now. And, and, and that happens internally, right? I mean, yeah. But, once it, it, but it can happen in a, pretty quickly if people are willing to experiment, right? Yeah. And we're back to being drowned again, right? Am I willing to drown? Am I, how many times am I willing to drown? Yeah. 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 Uh, and the, uh, you know, the, one of the things that comes to mind that we, we talk about this a lot, we'll, we'll put this principle out in the water early in a training is that, that, that all the breakdowns and the possibilities on a team are interpersonal, which most folks haven't considered. It's a risky game if that's true, is they want the breakdowns or the possibilities for the company to be strategic. Like yeah, I, like they could have a formula or a prescription or a set right. of things that they can do, you know, like that. That's so right. They don't want to know, think that it's new every time and that it's highly dependent on the relationship that they've developed with each other. Yeah. yeah. Because we know, I mean, I know anytime I'm in a breakdown with anybody, including like when I, when, when, when I am, you know, and some kind of judgment against you, Dan, 
Not that ever happens. But if I'm in some, you know, <laughs> some, if I'm in some kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, oh here he is Wait, again. Let's, right? let's hear some of them. Yeah, yeah. Let's, this will be fun. So, all right, uh, let, me, let me voice one that I've never voiced to you, Dan. Ready? Real time. Um, sometimes you call when I'm with my kids and my head goes, does he not know I'm with my kids? That's where my head goes, right? <laughs> uh, the first is like, would you stop interrupting me with my kids now? Now that's the first thought. Second thought is, I know Dan. Dan thought of me and then pushed Adrian. <laughs> you didn't like stop and wonder. You don't look at my, you know, you didn't look at my calendar to know that da da da, da or whatever. You're, you know, you're spontaneously connecting. Uh, what's the point? So the I point could be is, more sensitive, that's for sure. Huh? I could be more sensitive. I, well, I've heard that feedback before. I don't, <laughs> well, it does, I, mean, I mean, for me, it's, uh, if I'm catching the judgment that comes up right away and then actually I actually love you and trust you immensely as evidenced by like a million places in my life and I actually love the trait that in that moment is creating an experience I don't like right I love your spontaneity I love your like relational spontaneity you're always like talking to me about hey you talk to this guy you talk to this guy you talk to me because I know about you you're just calling and talking to people catching up with people all the time and you're catching up with me spontaneously, in the moment, I'm in some kind of like stressy moment with chasing around my five-year-old and three-year-old and trying to make sure they don't, you know, break their neck or something. And, you know, but your call, your, you know, spont spontaneous connection is in the, is meeting me in a moment that I don't like about myself or the environment I'm in with my kids. And I start to judge you about it. Yeah. Well, no, I get it. I, and I go, I struggle on a very similar thing, which is, you know, God, is he going to get overwhelmed with his kids and and his wife, you know, his new girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And how, when do I, how do I get a hold of him? Cause I don't want to make these decisions without him. Uh, yeah. And then I, I get upset and then I do the same thing. He's given me no reason to think this. Where did this come from? Right? But you haven't, you haven't, I mean, cause we've been able to talk through them, yeah. but very similar struggle over here. And yeah. so, so sometimes my spontaneity is more like, maybe I can catch him right now. Right. And, and get a word in. Yeah, and I go. Oh, oh. Then I realize, no, this is not good. <laughs> no, but that makes sense, man. Well, <laughs> and my, my point, bringing it up here. Oh, go ahead, Chad. You were tying this into every breakdown is an interpersonal relationship. Yeah, it's interpersonal. And if we didn't have these discussions, we we talk about this stuff like this all the time. So, yeah. you know, it's not like it's like we want to know so we understand each other's dynamic. Yeah. And that way, you know, when we do have a discussion, it gets to the nitty gritty quick. I don't. I never feel like. Uh, I can say I, I can say anything. That's what I, I really feel that way. With it's high trust, so the collaboration's high, and he can say what he needs to say to me. We sure. we kinds of clearings on a regular basis. Yeah, that was great. We'll do it real time, you know. And he's yeah. right. I mean, part of me is not thinking. There is a spontaneous want to connect, and part of me is okay. Maybe there, sometimes it's hey, I, maybe I can catch him right. And yeah, get, I got stuff pressing. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, in my I guess my point here to tie it back to the previous idea. We have different lifestyles too, because my kids are graduate, you know, they're gone and yeah. got grandkids and it's like a lot different demand on my life than That's yours, right. which I like, those are the things along the way that I, I think I could hear you say, we think contextually, but it's vital to have these discussions. So I love the question. Let's keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if I'm, if I'm, and I do this a lot in real time with clients out when I'm talking, like they'll describe a situation then describe what they said and that's usually where they want the conversation to end is like here's what happened and here's what I said and I 
annoy them by saying, well, what did they say in return? I do that all the time too. <laughs> and that's not a part of their story because usually people are, listen, all of us, including this guy, uh, Adrian, uh, you can't see me raising my hand on the podcast. Uh, I tend to be a coward until the stakes are high enough that I must act. That's worth acting for. Right? That's worth like, acting for, right? Like I didn't look down the road long enough. To, I had to wait till I got there, right? Yes, that's right. So because, because I'll tend to find a reason not to, to be courageous, uh, when I am and I finally say something that needs to be said, quote unquote, I'll be proud of myself for standing up and saying something. Instead of what this, the point of this conversation is, is that all, all possibilities and breakdowns come out of an interpersonal dynamic. So I, I, I ought to, you know, to be proud of myself or whatever for saying what I think needs to be said. But if I'm actually committed to the relationship, because the relationship between me and my teammate, me and my significant other, me and my whatever, the context of the relationship is where all the possibilities going to come out of. So then I ought to listen for what happened after I said what I said, that ought to be as or more important than me being proud of myself for like being bold in a moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, and then, but, and, but we both we intuitively know then that nobody survives an authentic conversation that we, we're right. ready to in it, right? And so that that tends to be discomforting or at least disruptive, and in, in, in sometimes a small way, sometimes a big way. I know I've I've avoided conversations because of that. I'm aware of that very thing's going to occur because you're going to say something back, and and then we're going to be different after this conversation. Yes, Dan, you brought up. Um, another myth that we have on the list here, which is top performers make great leaders. And um, there's a couple of others that I think tie well into that is, um, and this is two sides of one coin, I think is one, one other myth that I've heard out there is anybody can be taught to be a great leader. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that coin, coin is great leaders are born. It, there's natural leaders. And the reason I think all of these tie together is, you, you know, a lot of companies come up against the, the dilemma of, you know, they have this top performer or this top producer in a task, in a role. And they, that top performer creates great results through, the, you know, through task and through working with their team. And they say, hey, this top performer, we should promote them to be a leader. We should promote them to leadership to management, whatever that looks like, A, they need a raise because we want them to stick around. And the way that we can justify the raise is to put them into this leadership position, right? That's the only place for them to go for us to justify paying them more. But just being a top performer, not just, being a top performer doesn't mean you're a top leader or you're a leader um, or an effective manager, right? And so can leadership be taught or is it something that is natural and, and I want to preface this too. Is this Great question? This is deep, deep, deep in our work, right? At yeah. taking new ground because we run we run a six week program where we come in in house and take all the top all the managers and we teach them how to be coaches um, so that they can coach with their team, coach with each other, even coach up to to C level uh, to the C suite and and you know management and all that kind of stuff. So um, can leadership be taught? Why? I don't. The the question is problematic in that it it assumes 
something is learned that may not be learned. It's more of a a human dynamic that occurs all the time. Mm-hmm. That's how we survive. Yeah. And we, you know, we, there's a, there's a synergy that occurs with people when, and we call it leadership. It's when group, when, when people resource each other to have something turn out. Mm-hmm. And so can't, is that part of everybody's DNA? I think it is. I think it's actually that, that when you, you know, you're not just a follower, a good follower is a good leader and a good leader knows when to follow, right? If, like a good follower knows when to lead and a good leader knows when to follow. And that's what, so that's why the terms are, they're really one, two sides of the same coin. Then of course, if we start resourcing a group of people together and we get them to contribute with their contribution is what they're leading into existence. And that's going to have, and, and the more that's relevant to the outcome, you know, the mission, then they can, they realize value in that. And there's something that happens. I'll never forget when I was a kid, the most powerful experience I ever had was playing on a championship football team in high school. And, you know, we would, the coach was really great at commu- at catalyzing community, having, you know, resourcing the conversations that would bring us together relationally that had us play at a level that we didn't know was possible. We, and I think that's what happens in leadership is that when this leadership occurs, when leaders, when people get that reciprocation going, they perform better than they could on their own. And that, 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 that can be, that can be, that's in each one of us. The question is, are we willing to pay the price to, to learn what it takes to generate that, that dynamic? It's there. I, I don't think it's something, I think what's being taught is the willingness to get out of one's way or how to, how to make the mission more significant than what I'm going to get out of it. After I see that what I'm going to get out of it is going to be served by giving myself to it. Right. There's a paradox, right? There's, there's the, can people see that by subordinating their personal interest or to the mission that the personal interests are better served that way because people don't want to be led, but it's clear there's a need to be led at all of us at any moment at different times. So how do you balance the need to be led with the desire to be led? You know, that's, that's not, it's like a paradox and people want to lead. They want to follow. I want to follow if I see how my life's going to be served by following. Mm. Right. And if now that, then the next step is, okay, good. I got to really make that connection in the way that when I, I want to give myself completely to the mission because I get in the long run when it's accomplished, I'm ultimately, it's going to serve me in the ways I want. I don't think that kind of thinking gets, I don't think, I think we are so quick and so hurried to make the the goal that we don't get that by slowing down and doing that kind of work with each other, we create an environment that can leap ahead, right? Like leap ahead. We can go, so we kind of slow down to go faster. And that, and a lot of leaders get nervous in that because they're afraid that Somehow they're going to lose their direction, et cetera. But, but really, if you keep the missions clear, it sets a context. The aim sets a context for the conversations to emerge and get aligned. And if somebody's personal goals aren't going to line up or be served by the mission, then it serves them not to be on the team. It's an important thing. You want them to be served, right? That, but that's how you, I think that's a big deal. And that, that has a lot to do with breaking that, 
those these myths down, right? Because it's more complex. I, I love that that Anne Lamott quoted. We use it a lot, but you know, reality is unforgivingly complex. And I think I know I have hurt myself by not allowing myself to enter the complexities of these kinds of conversations. And I think the first one is who's on the bus and what are they there for? And is that lined up with what we say we're about? Those are key ideas, right? And then when people get that, they can contribute relevantly their gifts and lead their gifts into existence. Yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> this brings me to, I mean, there's a conversation I have early with any client I'm about to work with. I usually define for them or, uh, or at least let them know where I'm coming from in the relationship and uh, between me and them in a conversation. And I usually I have historically has defined it as, Hey, I'm up to fierce advocacy. That's, that's what I'm here to do is to, is to advocate for you in a way that's actually fierce. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, there are probably people that don't want to be advocated for. Right. So maybe like they want to be left alone. They want to, they want to just have this, you know, Whatever they do. Um, yeah, exactly. But I mean, if leadership as advocacy, I think is a powerful framework. And I think if we can get that in the culture that, hey, any of these conversations are for a purpose, the purpose being the vision of the organization and the purpose being your vision for your own self and life. And if a leader can be with people in such a way that, that the receivers of the information or the coaching or the correction or the feedback or the... Um, you know, the, uh, any kind of brain, any kind of conversation, if the leader can be with them in such a way that the receiver of the info, the other player on the field, the one that's in the tank, in the dance with them and in, in the conversation gets that the leader is there to help them take next steps or take new ground, if you will, in their own life and in their own career. And for the sake of the, the broader mission, I mean, if that, if that, Lance, and if that's true, like in the moment, man, so much openness and trust can occur. It relaxes the brain, I'll tell you that. It relaxes the brain, right? And, and, and I, I always say fears, uh, first off, to prep them for my natural state, because um, I usually want to be pretty frank and let's get after it. Um, and that I want them to know that, that playing a bigger game is never safe. It's not, I'm putting my, I'm asking, I'm inviting you to put yourself at stake for something that you want, which is not safe and it's right. not like psychologically safe, quote unquote. This is very dangerous. You could lose. You could lose. And, and then, and, and, and then like let's talk about that. <laughs> that's right. And you could look like a fool and you could be more insecure than you want. And you could be more confused than you want to and be. If you, and if you eliminate that, then you eliminate the possibility of actually winning. That's, right. that's what I was going to say. I was say, I was going to say, contrast that with playing small. You've already lost. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, my, you know, my, my son said, you know, we've been talking about, you know, his business. He's been, and he says, you know, dad, it takes as much energy to go after something gargantuan as it does something small. Mm -hmm. It's going to take the same kind of effort. That's right. So play big. Yeah. And it's big, to, you know, but to sit down and have these discussions, what I'm getting at is, to explore this with people on your team often feels to people, to other, you know, team leaders, like it could be a waste of time. Right. Right. Because there isn't a direct, 
you may not make the direct connection until you're deep in it and you need to rely on somebody to say what's really going on for them because that information could save the organization or save the mission or save the project. And they don't say it because they don't believe they, it's welcomed or they don't, it hasn't been something that has been part of the culture, the, the ongoing conversation. If the ongoing conversation is that Adrian, because he's CEO, has to have all the answers. And then I'm not going to want to, or it's, you know, or he, it's clear that he has to come up with it. Then I'm going to hold on to it because I don't want to be, I don't want to be excommunicated. I don't want to be thought of as a problem. Right. So, I mean, culture has everything to do with what gets revealed or not in an organization. And, and, and the crazy thing is if you want to get to the hidden ideas that are resourceful, you have to get to the hidden ideas that aren't so resourceful. You got to get to the ugly ones too. Yeah. And that helps. That, it, ironically or paradoxically, that connects the team. If people can really hear those things, you know, it's like having a tough conversation with your wife. You might be upset with her. And then after the conversation and you hear each other, you're more intimate than you were prior to it. And, but in the process, it seems like you can never come together or this isn't going to work out. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, so I used to say in my, uh, my, my marriage, uh, one of the best things I did is whenever we were, whenever we were at odds, I would, and in a few of these handful of moments, I would say, Hey, of all the things that aren't working, at least we can agree. We don't like the way it is. Yeah. Right. Right. There's a way to connect in the disconnection. Same thing on the, in the corporate world, right? It's like, Hey, we're bummed about this thing and it didn't work. And I think you ought to, and you think I ought to, can we at least just meet here? Like neither one of us like what's happening. And then all of a sudden, if, as soon as somebody claim willing to claim that current reality, uh, neither one, is, neither one of us want to be in this meeting, but we need to have this meeting. Yeah. It's great. And then it's a great sudden, dream. Bam. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. And let's just talk about why we don't want to be here. I mean, the shoot, there's like so much conversation there. And I mean, and I've, as part of we've, as we've having this conversation, I've been thinking through what percentage of the time that I spend with my clients talking about how to talk about issues. Most of the time. Most of the time. Because yeah, mine they, too. You know, in leadership training and leadership, even historical mentorship relationships or MBA programs, how much time do they spend training people how to have tough conversations? Well, very little. Or how to, yeah, and how your language is actually your strategy. You know, I, right. I was driving home yesterday from uh, Boise and I got a call from one of my clients and all they want to do is bounce off me what they, you know, what they wanted to accomplish with their, with their manager. Their, their, it was the CEO. Uh, this guy wanted to talk to the CEO and how do I say this? How do I, let's talk about how to say this so I can open up the biggest opportunity to have it resolved, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want this guy to feel like I'm against him, but I also think there's a problem here. And I want him to see that I think there's a wave around that. How do I, you know, like, how do I frame it? And then we spent a half hour just talking about ways to frame it. And he got off excited about having the conversation. Whereas, you know, cause we looked at a lot of different things. I like to, I like to go right into the worst case scenario and say, okay, let's say this happened in this worst case, what would you do then? Because what happens is the brain starts to relax because it sees a lot of options it never saw before. And then it, 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 it relaxes you enough to have a conversation and be able to frame it with that possi- with those possibilities as in, kind of inform the frame. Like, you know, you know, I, I don't, this is what I'm not after, but I do want to talk about blah, blah, blah. You, know, you can do all kinds of stuff with it. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think too is just, defining your own labels. Like, like when you say something, like one of the things I notice is when somebody 
will state a problem, they'll use labels, assuming the other party understands what they mean. Like, you know, this isn't working. Well, what isn't working and how isn't it working, right? It is, it, like, what is it about this that isn't working for you? And specifically, like we use a lot of terms that are shorthand so we can communicate quickly. And then we assume the other party understands what we see or sees what we see. And then by breaking those up, and get, they go, oh, that's what you meant by that, right? I don't know how many times we've had that kind of discussion. Oh, man, I didn't know you meant that. Yep. I thought you meant this. But yep. you can see that both are true. There's, there's five other things it could mean, right? Yep. So that, that's real resourceful. But you got to kind of catch your emotions because – I inevitably project the meaning I hear onto them. Then I have to beat them up for it because they don't understand. <laughs> People are so stupid sometimes. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> well, friends, this has been an experiment. I, when I proposed this topic to Dan, uh, well, to both of you, I sent it over and I said, what I'd like to do is define leadership. And the response I got back was, well, you can't define leadership. <laughs> <laughs> you can, but, but why do it? <laughs> if you do, if you do, you've already missed the point. Yes. If you define it, you've missed the point. And so I, I just love, like, when we jumped on this conversation, this was an experiment in conversation. And I think, you know, to a topic that could be already so nebulous, we've added more nuance to it. Yeah. Which well, I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, leadership as a dynamic versus leadership as a definition. Yes. We yeah. just hung out there. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, valuable conversation. Thank you both so much for, for being on here and adding your, your knowledge and your experience. And uh, I'm, excited, uh, I'm excited about where this conversation is going to go in the future. And I failed to mention earlier in the, in the conversation, at the beginning of the conversation, I wanted to say, we can only scratch the surface here. We're going to be so much deep, many of these principles, these paradoxes, um, and it's going to be a great conversation. Thank you both so much. Oh, great being here, man. Looking forward to our next one. Peace, everybody. Peace. That, my friends, is how we do on the Naked Leadership Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you did, if this created value for you, if there were uh, insights or ahas, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. We are creating a community around this conversation and it helps us build that community if you're willing to go and tell other people what you think and what you like about the podcast. Also, in addition, the greatest compliment that you could give us about the podcast is sharing it with those who are looking for this type of conversations, the leaders in your life. Whoever that is, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? Also, connect with us. All three of us are very active on LinkedIn. So our profiles are linked in the show notes below. All you have to do is click and hit connect. We post all kinds of great content there and have fantastic conversations. Next week, we are interviewing Allie Webb. If you don't know who Allie Webb is, she's the founder of Dry Bar. She hosts Raising Bar Podcast. She's a founder. She's brilliant. She's amazing. And we're talking to her about the founder's dilemma and that transition that happens between founder to CEO and also leading, the, the weight of leading and when that hits. It's a fantastic conversation that I cannot wait to share with you. So make sure you join us next week. Goodbye for now, my friends. Bye.